0: Uh, get a Bible open, Mark seven thirty-one through thirty-seven. We just read the passage. We're going to just break that down. If you're just joining us, this is a passage that's part of a series called Who Do You Say That I Am? And it's in in the Gospel of Mark. And we're almost to the midpoint of the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is 16 chapters. We're almost to chapter 8. And that climactic moment, Who Do You Say That I Am, will actually be there on Easter, which is perfect. And uh, so we invite you to continue to join us as we process this series and process this book together. Uh, But as we come to our passage today, you know, last week if you were here, Uh, we, we were talking about how we approach Jesus. Like, how do we approach Jesus? And we said we approach him humbly, and we approach him boldly, and we approach him persistently, and we took our cues from this woman who is approaching Jesus about trying to heal her daughter. And this week, as we come to this passage, this is all about the way Jesus approaches us. And the title of the message today is Healing and Hope. So if you take notes, healing and hope. And we're not going to see that Jesus approaches us with healing and hope. We're going to see how he does that. We said it several weeks ago. Remember, there's always a message behind the miracle. There's always intentionality behind Jesus' invitation to be healed. And so we want to zoom in on the passage and see what's that message If it's healing and hope, how is he bringing that? So we invite you to look along with me in God's word. Mark 7, we'll start in verse 31. It says this. It says, then he returned, that's Jesus, from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. Remember last week, Jesus was in Gentile territory. That's pagan territory, unclean territory. He had left the safe bubble of the religious Jewish territory. He goes into the Gentile pagan territory. Really what he's doing now is just jumping into another pagan territory. That's the Decapolis. That was a a center for Roman And Greek culture and influence. And so Jesus is hopping into another spot, not where everybody knows about God and knows all the laws and traditions, but where people don't and they need God because God, Jesus came not for the healthy, but for the sick. And so that's the area he's in. And we're gonna see somebody who's sick. Verse 32, keep looking with me. It says, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. Now, this is a consistent thing that we see throughout the Gospel of Mark, right? We've already seen it, we're gonna see it some more. Jesus heals people. He's gonna heal this man, right? Uh, Shocker, all of you to know, he's gonna heal this man, like that's gonna happen. And we see somebody who has an affliction coming to Jesus. These are common things that we see. And if we're not careful, we could just be like, okay, here we go again. Sickness, strife, sin, Jesus heals him. It's amazing, right? but I don't want you to do that. I wanna zoom in and I want you to look at this man who is deaf, later it says mute. And just imagine, put yourself in his shoes, real man meeting with a real Jesus, what must that have been like? This man who never had the opportunity to hear music, or hear his kids laugh, or hear someone say they love him. Never had the opportunity to, to share his own opinion or to sing, right? That's the man who comes before Jesus. Now here's what's interesting is this guy doesn't come to Jesus himself. It says others bring him. And not only do they bring him but they beg on his behalf. And what's crazy about that is we don't know who these people are. Right? It just says they So we don't know if they are friends. We don't know if they is family. We don't know if they is strangers. We don't know who they is, but whoever they is, their help leads to this man's healing. You see, the reality is, there's lots of people hurting around you, and they may be your family, they may be your friends, they may be complete strangers. There's people who are hurting around you physically, like this man. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, there's people who are hurting around you, and some of you, you can start to think, that person in my family, that friend, that stranger I walked by this morning, there are people hurting all around you, and the reality is, is that they may never come to Jesus on their own, but God places you there to bring them. And not even just bring them, but to beg on their behalf. This man couldn't beg. He needed some help to lead to his healing. And as we approach Easter, listen, that's what it's all about. Some of you, you think about Easter and you think pastels, bunnies, and Target. And there's more to Easter than that, right? That Easter is about hurting people, finding healing, But it's not just about hurting people finding healing. It's the healed people. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you've been healed by Jesus. And it's the healed people helping other people find healing as well. That's why later after this, we're going to hand out flyers and invite people to Easter. And we invite you to do that. Some of you are like, that would be so uncomfortable and that would hurt me so much. Listen, people are hurting far worse than you are handing out a flyer. And they need Jesus. And they need you to bring them to Jesus and beg on their behalf because maybe they're not in that place yet. Friday night we had our volunteer appreciation dinner and uh, a lot of you guys were there. Some of you guys who are volunteers weren't able to make it, but it was an amazing night. Uh, And if you weren't there, we were able to share this story of all this seen and unseen work that our volunteers do and why we do it. What does it ultimately produce? And we talked about life change and, and being healed by Jesus and how every hand you shake and every thing that gets plugged in and every tune that's strummed and sung, that it all leads to this transform, transformative healing by Jesus. And I was able to share one story because a girl in our church wrote a blog about her story and, and how her relationship with God was healed through this church. And, and you know, as she talked about this story and I shared this story with her permission to the volunteers, I read something I didn't really want to read, which is um, she remembers coming to church on Easter, but she didn't remember the sermon. And I was like, oh, okay, we could have left that part out. Um, but she said, you know what? I know it was about Jesus being raised back to life. And I know when I showed up, people smiled at me, and people weirdly wanted to know all about my life. And I couldn't hide anymore. And she said she came because we had a special guest that day. And she really just wanted to hear the special guest. She was honest. But she heard about Jesus. And she didn't just hear a sermon from the pastor about Jesus. She saw a sermon from the people about the love of Jesus. And we said, this is why we do what we do. And she went on to say she kept coming back after Easter because two people invited her. And two people invite you. It's harder to say no. So there's some people who are hurting like this man. Maybe not even just physically, maybe emotionally, maybe spiritually. And they may be your family and they may be your friends and they may be a stranger. And God may place you there to bring them to Jesus because they won't do it on their own. That's the story of somebody in our church. That's some of your story. That's what Easter is about. That's what this Christian life is about, experiencing healing and then extending that healing to others. That's what we see happen in this text. And, and this man is brought to Jesus because he's hurting like physically. He, he, he's deaf. He's, he's mute. He's hurting physically for sure. But, but we know, and all of us know this, whether you're in the medical profession or not, physical pain is not usually by itself. It's usually accompanied by emotional pain even spiritual pain. And we get a hint of that with this man that we don't ever get his name. Do you notice that? Never says John who was deaf and mute. It just says this man who was deaf. You see, he was defined by his brokenness. He needed healing for sure. It'd be great if he could talk. It'd be great if he could hear. He needed to be healed, but he also needed hope. This man was defined by his brokenness, just the man who was deaf, just a man who was depressed, just the woman who couldn't have a baby, defined by brokenness. And so he needs healing, but he also needs hope. Some of you this morning, you need healing, but you also need hope. You need to know that your brokenness doesn't define you. And Jesus is going to show him that. How does he show him? We're going to zoom in again here. He shows him as he approaches him graciously. Look at verse 33. It says, And taking him aside from the crowd privately. Now, again, we could just skip over that, but that's not what we're doing. Message behind the miracle. We're zooming in on that. He takes him aside from the crowd privately. Now, as I read this, my first thought was, Jesus, what are you doing here? This is not great for building the kingdom, building momentum. Christianity, we're trying to get this thing rolling, be helpful. The crowd is already there. Just heal the man in front of the crowd and then teach them a message about it. But Jesus isn't building a kingdom like I want him to build it. He's building his kingdom. And so he in his grace takes this man aside. Now, why does he do that? Why do you do that, Jesus? Well, you see, he could have. Crowds all around, he could have said... Get ready for the show. This is going to be great. You're going to be amazed. And he could have healed them, and then he could have preached a powerful message and got some zingers in there, and everybody could have been saved, and it would have been awesome to the crowd. But what about the man? This man who has been a spectacle all his life, who everybody looked at him and stared confusingly because they weren't sure, like, can you talk, what's wrong, why are you saying anything? Who every time somebody laughed, he couldn't hear what they were laughing about or the conversation that led up to that laughter, he would only have to assume, they're probably laughing at me. This man who couldn't sing with everybody else, couldn't chime in with his opinion, And people just look at him a little bit different. This man was a spectacle. And so Jesus in this moment is is saying, I'm not going to make your brokenness a spectacle anymore. I'm going to pull you aside. I'm not going to put your brokenness on blast. I'm going to pull you aside. And Jesus doesn't want to isolate him. Jesus wants to restore him. And in his grace, he pulls him aside to do that. This is nerve wracking for a lot of us. This is the reason a lot of us, we don't come forward about our brokenness because we fear that we will be embarrassed or exposed. Some of you this morning, you're you're dealing with some, some physical, emotional, some spiritual pain. And you think maybe I should let this rise to the service. Maybe I should talk to somebody about it. Maybe I should come down to an altar and pray about it. Maybe I should kneel where I am Right now, about it. But then if I did that, people would know something was wrong. And that's scary to me. Like, if I shared this thing about my marriage, everybody else probably has good marriages. I mean, my brokenness would be put on blast. I would be embarrassed. I would be exposed. I mean, if I shared this, this, I don't have a physical sickness, but I've been been struggling with anxiety and depression for longer than I can remember and the medication and all that, it's not working out. And if I share this brokenness, it's gonna get put on blast, it's gonna get exposed, it's gonna get embarrassed. And and you need to know, just let the secret out of the bag. We all have that fear, right? We all have that fear that if I let people see my brokenness, what are they gonna say? What are they gonna do? We have that fear with big things, we have that fear with little things. Just this week, we did bulk pickup at our uh, front yard on our corner, and we get so excited when bulk pickup comes. I know, it's just the little things in life, because we get to start decluttering. We just bought a house, and so we're moving, and and so we're decluttering and just getting rid of all our stuff, right? So I was taking stuff, putting it out there, putting it on the corner, chairs, rugs, just all these other things that that we didn't want anymore, and we're going to take to the next house. And This was all stuff, I just want to let you know, I don't want, Right? I don't want it. But, but something crazy happened, and it was people start to come because people do this. They, start, they, they go around. They find the bulk pickup streets, and they start to rummage through the stuff. Have you seen this? Some of you have done this, right? It's okay. It's church. Admit your bulkiness. Um, but, but what we see is somebody's driving up to get our stuff, and the kids were so excited. So they go to the couch, and they start looking out the window, and they're like, That guy's, what's he doing with our stuff? And they don't really get bulk pickup. They're just like, why is that guy sitting in my chair? Right? And and what he starts to do is he looks at stuff, he inspects it, and he thinks about putting it in his car. And some of the stuff he did, but some of the stuff he didn't. And he takes my chair. My chair. Moment of silence. And he, he takes it, he puts it on the street. It was actually great entertainment. And he sits in it. And he rocks in it. And then he takes the chair and he puts it back on the pile. So. The kids are kind of laughing. I'm like, oh, that's my chair. Right? What do you, you don't want, my chair's not good enough for you? And mind you, I was getting rid of the chair, right? But I'm still kind of like offended that, like, I've kind of put myself out here, put my stuff out here, and you don't want to take it, you don't think it's good enough? So we feel that way with little things. Imagine putting out something of your heart to someone, of your brokenness, of your past. And somebody, they're like, I don't, I don't like that. I don't want that. Really? How could you ever do that? They're shocked. You get rejected. And some of us, man, we are scared to death that we are going to be exposed and embarrassed Because of our brokenness. Man, if we put it out on the curb, what's somebody going to do with that? Ah, I don't know if I could let that go, put it out there. Because we're afraid of our brokenness being put on blast. And you need to know, Jesus in his grace, he doesn't put your brokenness on blast. He pulls you to the side. He restores you in his grace. He's not interested in airing your dirty laundry for everyone to see. He's interested in you dealing with that and being healed. So just this little nugget takes him aside from the crowd privately. Jesus approaches you graciously. Psalm 34 tells us this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. We think the Lord's far away when we're brokenhearted. We think the Lord may reject us because of our brokenness. And scripture says, no, he actually wants that. He wants you to put it it all on the curb, heart, mind, feelings, emotions, depression, sickness, sin, strife. He wants you to put it all out there and he's gonna take you to the side and begin the healing process. Jesus doesn't make you the spectacle. He becomes the spectacle. We think he's going to put us on blast. The opposite is true. Jesus doesn't make you the spectacle. He becomes the spectacle on your behalf. That's what the cross is all about. That's what Good Friday in a couple of weeks is all about. How did Jesus die to take on the sins of the world? Was it off to the side where no one could see? Was it in private or was it in public on a cross, hanging up, elevated above everybody else so you could see him that he became a spectacle. And it wasn't even just on a cross, that cross was on a hill. Just in case you needed a better view of all of the brokenness. Jesus' darkest moment was publicized for all to see so he could take you aside and privately and graciously heal you of your brokenness. Do you see it? Jesus approaches you graciously, The second way Jesus approaches you is personally. Look at the second part of verse 33 with me. We see how Jesus heals him. It says he puts his fingers into his ears and after spitting, he touches his tongue. Now, it's okay, we can just say this together. Say it with me. That's a little weird. That's a little weird. It's okay, you can say it in church. It almost seems like a ritual, doesn't it? It almost seems like a magic man. Like, first I'm gonna put my fingers in your ears. Hold on, let me get some saliva and let me touch your tongue, and then boom, you're healed, right, now, does Jesus need to do this like a ritual, like a magic man, like a miracle worker, no, how do we know that, last week, how does he heal the woman who has a a demon-possessed daughter, just by his word, she's at another house, He's at another house, and he says, go, your daughter has been healed. He didn't get anywhere near to touch this woman. Does Jesus need to do a ritual to heal people? No. So why does he do it? He does it not because he needs to do it, but because the the man needed him to do it that way. You see, Jesus could have used his audible words. What's wrong with that? Man can't hear it, but he can feel touch. He can't understand nonverbals. And so, what Jesus does is he enters into this man's world personally, the way he needed to be healed. Jesus didn't need to heal him that way. He could have done it with his word. He healed storms that way, he cast out demons with his very word. But this man, he needs a touch, right? Jesus brings healing, but he also brings hope. Because he does so personally. Jesus knows exactly what you need. You think about Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha, the brother dies, Lazarus. And to Martha, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would be alive. And Jesus, to Martha, rebukes her. Then Mary comes, basically says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would be alive. Instead of rebuking he weeps with her. Jesus knows exactly what each person needs. Listen, some of you, God will speak to you. Some of you, God will show you. Some of you, God will shake you. And some of you, you you relate to God in different ways and you're wondering like, why won't God speak to me like this? I mean, he speaks to these other people maybe because God knows you need to be shown. And then some of you are wondering, like, God seems to shake me. How come he can't just pull me aside and speak to me gently? Like, I would like that, Jesus. Because you need to be shaken. <laughs> right? The God goes to each person personally, not because he needs to do it a specific way, not because he can only speak or only show or only shake. He just knows you need it that way. And so he's gracious enough to do that. He's personal enough to do exactly what you need because he's not just bringing healing, he's bringing hope. That's what Jesus does. This is what baptism is all about. Baptism is where we, we get in that take and personally profess the name of Jesus. Not just what some of you might think and say, like, well, I, Jesus is Lord. Jesus did die and rose from the dead, and he did it for the whole world. I believe that. No, baptism is saying, I don't just believe it for the population. I believe it for my person. I believe it for me. He died for my sin. He rose for my sin that I commit to follow him all the days of my life. That that Jesus deals with people personally, we respond to him that way as well. That's what baptism is all about. Some of you are wrestling with, should I be baptized? I mean, I kind of believe, is it really necessary? Yeah, it's necessary because it personalizes the personal gospel that Jesus came, not for just the world, Jesus came for you. And he came to you in your specific story. No one else has your story. You have that. And God wants you to share that story. God wants you to proclaim that story so that other people can see, okay, how does he relate to my story? How do I find healing and hope? Jesus approaches us graciously. He approaches us personally. The third thing is he approaches us empathetically. Look at verse 34 with me. It says, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be open. When it says Jesus sighed, that's literally an inward groan in the original language. That Jesus doesn't just heal the pain, he connects with the person. That sigh, it's an an inward groan. He's he's entering into the suffering of this man. Now, I don't know what makes you sigh. I know there's a lot of things that make me sigh. In fact, I made a list. Just kidding. Um, But I did. I actually thought for a second about making a list because I had a lot of things Like I had um, printing out my sermon and for some reason it kept printing double-sided instead of single-sided even though I've never changed that default setting on my printer. And I had to print it over and over and find this like, break this code to print my sermon. And it made me have an inward groan. It made me sigh. Earlier this week, I sighed. I had an inward groan when uh, the back hatch on our, our Volvo SUV, the back hatch, which lost pressure in a pivotal moment when I was putting groceries in the car, and it dropped me on the head, whacked me on the head, and I had a sigh, and I had an inward and outward groan, just to be honest with you on that one. Lots of things make me sigh. Lots of things make me have an inward groan. If I were to give you that list, maybe one day I'll be comfortable enough with my brokenness to give you that list but if I were to give you that list somewhere in there there'd be the hurting of others somewhere in there there'd be the the family member, the friend the stranger but I think it'd be after the printer the back hatch and my struggles and my brokenness and Jesus is not like me. Amen? Jesus is not like you. What makes him sigh, what makes him have an inward groan is the hurting of another, the brokenness of another. Again, Does Jesus have to sigh? Does Jesus have to put forth any effort or energy emotionally or physically for this man to be healed? No, he's God. He created the world by his very word. He doesn't need to sigh. He wants to. He wants to enter into this man's brokenness. He's not cold or callous. He's fully engaged with the brokenness. He empathizes with you. That's what Hebrews 4 tells us. He knows what it's like. And listen, empathy is very different than sympathy, isn't it? I think there's there's this image of empathy versus sympathy. And and sympathy is if, if someone's in a hole and they're crouched down in a hole and they feel overwhelmed and they feel stuck in life. Sympathy is someone who's ground level above the hole who looks down and says, that must be hard. That's so sad. That's bad. Empathy is different. Empathy is when you crawl down in the hole with them. And you say, that is overwhelming. And I don't even know if I know that how to help you right now, but I just want to let you know I, I, I've been there and I know what that feels like. And I'm with you. That's what Jesus does. He, he sighs. He groans. He feels the pain that this man has felt for so long. He empathizes. Now, again, I've experienced some of this, and I think one of the best ways we see empathy is with a mom. And I have a beautiful wife, great mom, three kids, and earlier this week, I got to see a picture of this. And it was when we bought uh, circle pizzas. And just hold on a second. Um, Circle pizzas are like the little personal pan pizzas. My kids get really excited about these because these are the pizzas that they get to eat at school. And so we're cooking pizza, they know that. But then they see the little circle pizzas. And my son literally said, we got circle pizzas? It's like, yes, son, we love you. Like, don't forget that. And we got these circle pizzas. And listen, they got excited about the circle pizzas. I got a little excited about the circle pizzas. And I couldn't wait, so I grabbed the pepperoni one, and I grabbed that little circle, and I took a bite of that circle pizza. Now, what happens? My wife is like, hey, what are you doing? That's not for you. Like I made something else healthy for you, and I'm like, thank you, I think. And I'm like, but I just, I just want to take a bite. And she's like, now what, there's three circle pizzas. We got three kids. Now one of those kids is going to see a bite taken out of his pizza, and we already got enough trouble at dinner time, and we don't need more trouble. And that bite, they're going to be like, I don't. Why is there a bite taken out of my circle pizza? And so we kind of resolve that a little bit. I walk away, come back just about a minute later, and I see a bite taken out of every circle pizza. Now, who do you think did that? Not my kids, my wife. Why? Because she feels their pain. But listen, she doesn't just feel their pain. She's powerful enough to fix their pain. She knew what to do. She she felt like this is how they're gonna feel. I feel the pain, but I'm gonna fix the pain. That's what Jesus does. Listen, He's empathetic enough to feel your pain, but He's also powerful enough to fix it, amen? That's what He does. Look at verse 35 with me. It says, And the man's ears are opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Earlier it said he had a speech impediment. If you heard somebody with a speech impediment, maybe you have one. He spoke plainly, no impediment. Jesus heals him. He's powerful enough to fix the pain. Verse 36, Jesus charges them, tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. It says they were astonished beyond measure. How astonished were they? You can't measure it saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear, the mute speak. People are astonished because you have Jesus, an authority figure, one who is in power, who doesn't hold power, but he uses it to help, right? They're astonished beyond measure because they see someone who is empathetic to crawl down in a hole and be like, I know what that's like. I was God, But I emptied myself, becoming in the likeness of man, and I came down to be with you, to empathize with you. I know what it's like. I can feel your pain, but I am also still God, and so I can fix your pain. I'm powerful enough to do that. And so they are astonished. They're astonished because they're seeing a little bit of a hint of the lion and the lamb, the servant and the king, the cross and the crown. So let me ask you a question. Are you astonished? Are you astonished beyond measure by that Jesus? By the way he has brought you healing, but also hope. By the way he has felt your pain, but also fixed it. Are you astonished? Or do you just look at this as another story? Jesus healing people, that's what he does. Oh, Jesus, are you astonished by him? When we ask you to invite other people to experience the healing of Jesus, are you astonished by him enough to think, man, Jesus healed me. He can heal somebody else. And they're hurting, and they need it. And maybe God's put me here not just to be healed, but to extend that healing to somebody else. Are you astonished enough by Jesus? Jesus, the one who did empty himself. He had glory. He is glorious. But he emptied himself and became a humble servant. He had all the power to heal somebody with just his, his very words. But he touches his ears and touches his tongue. Right? Jesus gets down into the depths with people to bring him out of his brokenness. And he does it graciously. And he does it personally. And he does it empathetically. And he does it powerfully. Are you astonished by that Jesus? Because you should be. That in your brokenness, you need to know Jesus did not throw you a life vest and say, I hope it works out. Like in your depression, in your sin, in your sickness, in your strife, in your marital conflict, in your insecurity. Jesus doesn't throw you a life vest and say, good luck with that. No, Jesus gets down in the depth of your depression and he gets down with you. He empathizes with you. And he, in his power and his empathy, he pulls you out himself. He doesn't send somebody else. God becomes flesh, he becomes a man. And it's God who, who brings hope and healing who brings empathy and power. Are you astonished by Jesus? Two questions as we close. How does Jesus approach you? I've just told you, so you should just look at your notes, all right? But some of you, even if you took notes, you're like, how does Jesus approach others? I can answer that easy, but how does Jesus approach me and my brokenness? I don't know if it's personal. I don't know if it's gracious. I don't know if it's empathetic. I don't know if it's powerful enough to fix my messed up, jacked up life. And you need to know this, this morning, there's a, a message behind the miracle. Jesus is speaking to you through this miracle and he wants you to know that he can bring healing and hope in your life. How does Jesus approach you, you with what you did last night, you with your past With your pride, even right now that you're wrestling with in this moment, how does Jesus approach you? He brings healing and hope, and he does so personally and graciously and empathetically, and he does so powerfully. How does Jesus approach you? That's how he does it. How does that not just give you healing, but hope? Some of you this morning are thinking, Tim... I'm not really hurting right now. I mean, things are kind of going well for me. I mean, I appreciate it. I know Jesus has healed me of my sin, but physically, I'm doing okay. Financially, doing okay. Spiritually, emotionally, I'm kind of doing okay. Relationally, I'm kind of doing okay in my life. Well, guess what? Today is your day not to experience healing, but to extend this kind of healing to somebody else. To look across the aisle, because let me just tell you, there's someone else who is hurting, And just like these people, they, I don't know who they are. You're thinking, I don't know who these people are. I don't know anybody at this church. They didn't know that guy, but they brought him to Jesus. They knew enough that he was hurting and they could help him find healing. So if you're not hurting, God's charging you. God's placed you to help others find the healing that you have experienced. Let me pray. God, I just really believe there's someone here today who's hurting. And maybe it's not as public as being deaf or mute, but, I mean, their heart is hurting. And they're scared right now even to respond to this because what if somebody will notice? And God, I pray in this moment that you would help them to know that the way you approach this man graciously, personally, empathetically, powerfully is the way you're approaching them right now. And that you're not looking to put their brokenness on blast. You're not looking to shame them. You're looking to save them. And so God, I pray for the hurting in this room that they would experience healing and hope. Not that I can provide, not that following a list of religious rules can provide, but, but falling, and, uh, falling before the feet of Jesus and what that can provide. And I pray that even now, they would just take a moment to do that. Do that now. If that's you, do that now. Just stop where you are, pray. You can, you can just drop to your knees. You can sit where you are. You can write something down. God wants to give you hope and healing. God, I pray for the men and women in this room who say, you know, I'm blessed not to be hurting right now. God, I pray that they would look around and whether they know it or not, someone else is is hurting and they would just ask, hey, how how are you doing? How's that job situation working out? How's your marriage? You guys getting time together? How's your friendships? You're still kind of at odds with that person? Do you ever bring that conflict? We would just start to, to help others find healing. That's why you've placed us here. So God, help us to do that. God, we thank you that you have brought healing through the person of Jesus. And we ask now that you help us to, to be astonished by that sing that, to pray that, to honor you in light of that truth. It's in the name of Jesus I ask that. Amen.